right, I think we are live. I just have to wait a second. Yes. All right. We are good. Uh, hello, everyone. My name is Luke Thomas. Welcome back. Haven't done one of these in a while. This is the UFC 225 post-fight special. Uh, let us do this. Let's get it going, shall we? How you doing out there? Boy, what an event that was, huh? Oh my god. Um, Alright, so let's do this. I'm going to pull up my Twitter machine. Make sure everything's going well. Here's how this is going to work. We'll go for about an hour or so. Um, you can see below where to follow me on Twitter. I would appreciate a follow. And you can see the donation link, or you can see the uh, prompt anyway, um, here at the bottom of the screen. If you donate in the super chat, first of all, I appreciate it. And second of all, I'll answer all of your questions first at the end uh, of this very program. So if you want to get your question in and a comment in, throw a couple bucks my way and uh, you'll definitely get it. And I might go over Twitter as well. So I'd appreciate um, not only you watching, of course, I appreciate any kind of uh, other contribution, social media, or, you know, a little super chat donation. If you don't want spoilers, now is your chance to get out of here. I'm going to give you a, who this is brought to you by. And after that, we're going to get right into the spoilers. Uh, this, of course, is brought to you by the Beta Academy in Washington, D.C. There's a link to that in the description box below. If you're ever in the nation's capital and you need a place to train, that is the place to go. It's at the corner of 14th and Florida, Florida, excuse me, Northwest. Very, very easy to get to. They've got cardio facilities. They've got workout facilities. They've got... Mats for jujitsu, for wrestling, for Muay Thai, and programs and classes day and night, six days, seven days a week. So that is where you want to go. Okay? Uh, there's that. And of course, there's a link to my store in the description box below if you want like a TRT t-shirt, TRT turtle, excuse me, and of course my live chat shirt. All right. So if you don't want spoilers, now is your chance to get out of here because we're going to get to them in five, four, three, two, one. All right. Let's do it. UFC 225 is in the books, and of course, give the video a like uh, uh, and subscribe to the channel below. I really appreciate that when you do. UFC 225 took place at the United Center in Chicago, Illinois, and your main event, Robert Whitaker defeating Yoel Romero via split decision. I'm trying to get the scores up here. I believe the scores were, let me pull them up here just a second. Um, I'm not sure how you guys had it, but here's how it goes. Uh, Robert Whitaker, of course, defeats Yoel Romero, 48-47 Whitaker, 48-47 Romero, 48-47 Whitaker. I did not score it in real time. Just thinking back, though, I'm trying to do the math here. How would I have scored it? First two rounds I would have given to Whitaker, so that would have put him up 2018. Third round I would have given to Romero. 10-9-ish, maybe not 10-8. So then you have 29-28, Whitaker. Then the fourth round I would have given to Whitaker. Um, so now you're at 39-30, what, 7? Is that where we're at? Something like that? I'm doing, trying to do the math in my head. Uh, yes. And then I would have given a 10-8 to Romero. So if I give a 10-8 to Romero, that would have been 47 um, and then a 47, right? It would have made it a draw. I think I would have had it a draw across the board. Uh, I don't know how you don't get make that fifth round a 10-8. I mean, he was put down and on the precipice of defeat very closely. It kind of is shocking, in fact, that they did not give that a 10-8. But they didn't, and so there you go. Um, 
I, I don't necessarily have a problem with Whitaker getting three of those rounds. Again, first, second, and fourth, he got those. And if you want to give the, the third and then the fifth to Romero, okay, fine. So it wasn't so much a matter of that. It was just that in the rounds that Whitaker won, he kind of won them in the way you would expect him to. Good footwork, good timing, uh, you know, striking on the outside, good boxing, stuffing the, head, the takedowns whenever they were apparent early on. You know, just sort of neutralizing, basically, Romero. And he did all that really, really effectively. So I think they got that part right, right? It seems to be pretty straightforward. It wasn't hard to see who was winning each of those rounds. The Whitaker rounds were pretty obvious, and the Romero rounds were pretty obvious. But that scoring is a little bit off for me. I, I, they, they just, they were not, I don't know how you can call round two equivalent to round five. That, that doesn't seem right at all. But then again... Um, you know, there are, I mean, let's start with this. Yoel Romero is, Joe Rogan calls him the freak of all freaks. I'm not even sure, well, that's correct. I'm not even sure that does him enough justice. He is an absolute, you know, he's supposed to be 41 years old, if that is even what he is. Uh, I, I don't know what he actually is, but I find that probably a little bit, even that might be dubious. He might actually be older, um, than that, okay. I'm, he's just a physical specimen, the likes of which you'll you'll maybe never see again. Um, so incredibly special. I don't know why he was fighting the way he was fighting at first, which is to say, I know why he was fighting one way, which is that he's a one way striker. He's either really on the defensive or he's really on the offensive. Now that kind of got away from him as the fight went on, but early he did that. If you go and look at my old Monday Morning Analyst after the Rockhold fight. We went over this. He's really good. Um, uh, okay. He's really good about not merely parrying and blocking shots, but doing that as a way to conserve energy. And then, of course, to when he springs into action, he's really good about just sort of surprising you with it. So that was really in at least half of that was in on display in the first and second rounds. And then the third round, he was able to connect. And what was the really. For me, what was the underlying theme or notice? Like, what did I observe about Yoel Romero in that third and then that fifth round that was different for me? He has developed a style that isn't not, it's not just about energy conservation. It is about, although it's a big component of it, it is that on top of it all, he has found really good setups for his favorite strikes. Like, Yoel Romero doesn't just really get good at everything, although he has gotten pretty good at a lot of things. Although the, the finishing on the ground is a real weak point for him, which is kind of surprising. But neither here nor there for the moment. What he's really good at is he sort of identifies what he likes to use. Like, what strikes does he like to use? And then he builds branches of the game that helps him get to those points a lot easier. So in that fifth round, I have to go back and watch exactly what happened, but he throws the strike, doesn't come close to it, notices that Whitaker is still in uh, a range where he can be touched, then off-balances Whitaker, but kicks out his legs as he's in transition. Not a leg kick, but like almost like a sweeping leg motion, which gets Whitaker to have to do what? It wasn't super hard, but it was enough where he had to readjust his balance and in that moment that gave him just enough ability to close that distance and throw that heavy strike that he wanted to land it's that kind of thing that I'm talking about he has really really worked on it that has massively massively improved so I have to say that was incredible to witness on the ground 
you know, I know he finished off Machida, for example, with those elbows, but Machida had, you know, had lost some ability to absorb damage in the way that he had previously been able to heading into that contest and, of course, at the stage of his career. But for me, um, more than that, it's that, you know, on the ground, he's not really good at putting his hooks in. He, he's not really good at controlling upper body to then set up a guillotine choke or then, you know, roll to mount. He doesn't have use of, like, not really putting in the hooks, but then butterfly hooks off the instep. He just doesn't have a lot of those things. He really just kind of likes to ride ride your hips. He, he does some wrist control. But the point being is I think that allows guys to get out of positions that they ordinarily wouldn't have been able to. Now, yeah, you can say, well, Weidman didn't and Rockhold didn't. Fair enough. And neither did Machida. But Whitaker was able to a couple of times. He was able to just hang on a couple of times because he could hide underneath and not have to worry about being beaten up. And Romero just couldn't find a way to turtle him over. You know, you can, you can turn someone over from turtle. Spiral right on one side, hook behind the shoulder, and then turn him. Well, if you have this side, actually, you would turn him this direction, right? You can do all that. He doesn't do any of that kind of stuff. He just kind of rides the position. And that's fine, but against the better ones, it's not really going to be able to get you to that next spot. So while I was very impressed, I, I like how he's just figured out a game that works for him. What do I like? What do I not like? What am I good at? What am I not good at? Let me build around my strengths and my preferences in a very direct and clear way. I really respect that from him. But that finishing on the ground really has held him back a couple times, especially in this fight. Um, but but nevertheless, incredible progress at 41. And then to move the way he did, even in that fifth round where he kind of slipped and had to get back to his feet. I mean, people don't get off the couch as fast as he was able to get out of the way and stand after slipping in that fifth round. What an athletic freak, man. You just don't know people like that. You, you, you don't see people like that. They might have higher fight IQ or better jiu-jitsu or better striking or, you know, really functional MMA wrestling or something. But he is so unusual as a character. He's so unusual as a fighter. He's so unusual as a tactician. He's so unusual as a personality. He's so unusual with his life story. Like, he's just a really unique guy, and that bleeds not merely into the way in which he engages with the world outside of fighting, but in the cage itself. I think you see that all the time. Uh, and in this this contest as well. This was much better than the last one, and that was between Whitaker and Romero. And that was a really good contest. Romero doesn't have to rely on his wrestling anymore. It clearly is a benefit to him. Those tight waists he has are really good, and then he sweeps the feet out underneath. He's made pretty effective use of that, which has been really interesting and fun to watch. Um, but um, there's just nobody like him. There's just nobody like him. Even if other guys might be better, and Whitaker appears to be, or certainly you know, right at you know, however you wanted to say this fight should have been called or or whatever. But to me, Whitaker's probably a little bit better, obviously. Um, but they don't have quite this. You know, this he this total deficiency in terms of the time in which he was able to get into the sport and then to improve the way which he has. And then, of course, it takes us to Robert Whitaker. My God, Robert Whitaker, what resolve, what ability to, you know what it was? Like, the way he was getting hurt, it was like he knew he was physically overmatched. But it was almost veteran savvy when he was going for that leg underneath and he's just kind of ducking his head underneath there, just getting out of the way of the punishment, just getting out of the way of Romero being able to do some of those extra things. Um, finding a way to tie up in the clinch, finding a way to just sort himself 
and he's incredibly tense and difficult and you know uh, even if you have your emotional bearings your brain has to recover a little bit and just to find the time you know we're talking about a guy in his mid-20s and he's showing veteran savvy it's incredible you can say all the nice things you want about him as a again as a tactician and he's good as a well-rounded fighter and he's amazing Um, as a champion as a husband all these things you can heap praise on him but one of the things you would sort of deny him maybe is not that he's not experienced of course he is but that he's still relatively you know middle early middle-ish of his um, major professional run like you you would imagine he's got several big years ahead of many big years ahead of him and he's already fighting in a way to protect himself in really bad spots to get his bearings when he really has to and when an opponent is giving him opportunities he goes out there and he takes them i love the balls on his strategy to go after and use that oblique kick not merely to start the first round but to go back to it and he was laying on him in the fourth and fifth as well you know you want to use that tactic against me great i'm glad i'm glad good to know that everything is above board because i intend on using it in this contest over and over and over there's a question of how effective it was against a a guy whose skeleton appears to be lined with adamantium. But you get the idea. He's total self-belief, excellent uh, fighter in terms of skills, and and is just showing that like parts of the game that take time to come to him um, come to him faster. Right? That veteran savvy, like we're going to talk about Holly Holm when we get down the card. She's got that veteran savvy, but look how much competition experience she has, right? All those years in boxing, and then she's much older and longer in the tooth. I think she was she 35, 36, something like that. And um, and so so for her to show that kind of thing is not necessarily all that uh, surprising. But for a guy this, now I wouldn't say not in developmental stages, but nascent as far as a championship run, he's phenomenal too. What poise under fire, what bearing he has. I, I really hope they do a trilogy fight. I don't know if they will. I don't know how the UFC is going to look at this. I, I mean, and you just got to say about Yoel Romero, like, dude, how did you not make weight for this? In the end, I guess it wouldn't have mattered, right? But, you know, who, who knows? One judge could have seen it one way. All, 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 all he needed was two more points um, from two judges. And things could have been, you know, majority draw. And we would have definitely been in a place where we get a third one. Does anyone not want to see a third one? You can say, well, how meritorious is it? All right, I don't know how meritorious it is. But I know that it's, it would be phenomenal to watch. I, I mean, yes, it's true. Kelvin Gastelum versus Robert Whitaker might also be really, really awesome. But I don't know. It's kind of hard to pass up on this one, man. I, I would be thrilled to see another one. If they go a different direction, I guess we'll have to sort of take that. But, um Man, what what a main event by them. What a main event. Uh, incredible. Um, blown away. Blown away by Yoel Romero's progress this late in his athletic life. And blown away by the growth of Robert Whitaker and what an important rivalry this is um, for that UFC middleweight division. It's good to see rivalries in a division, right? Like your Jones and D.C., you know, and now we're gonna see what happens with Cody and uh, excuse me, Colby and um, Tyron Woodley. I guess we're gonna see what happens with that. But these two sportsmen who like each other, who don't necessarily have some kind of animosity, getting after it and having this kind of a rivalry. Let's go down the card if we can. We'll come back to it again. If you got a question, put it, give a donation in the super chat, um, and I'll take a look at it. Colby Covington, 
defeating Rafael Dos Anjos 49-46, 48-47, 48-47. To me, I can see a 48-47 either way. Uh, That wouldn't bother me at all. The 49-46 for Colby is a little hard for me to square. I don't. I don't quite know. Let me let me start with a point here about Colby Covington that I just find fucking hilarious. I just can't believe. Like, okay, I cannot believe how many people are in denial about this guy. Number one, about his ability. Now, if you, again, if you scored up for Dos Anjos, it's fine. I wouldn't argue with that at all. Um, it was really really close, and some of those rounds were really hard to score. But like MMA Twitter tonight was just funny to me because. Colby and I, in terms of worldview, could not be further apart. And yet I have total respect for this guy's game. And I think he's a lot sharper as a self-marketer than people realize, even if part of his game in doing so uh, is not pleasing to people. But it's just so funny to me that everyone, all this week we were questioning, like, will this work? People aren't buying into it. His social media presence is not that great. And it's true that inside the bubble, he had certainly developed a reputation. But, you know, beyond the bubble, how much? Probably not much. And among the casual fan base, very little to non-existent at all. But the point being was he was certainly showing evidence that the the early stages of his development were clearly working to at least boost his profile. Um, There's no argument about it. And MMA Twitter tonight was like a series of tweets about everyone saying that they didn't care about Colby and that his game didn't work. When I say his game, I mean his gimmick, right, about self-promotion. And yet every tweet was seething with rage about him. Every tweet was seething with anger about him. And it's like it's like MMA Twitter. Colby's gimmick doesn't work except on all of us. I just couldn't believe, like, people just can't call it like it is. You cannot like his style of marketing, and I, I don't think it's very appropriate to, to insult Brazil the way he did. It's certainly nothing I would even ever dream of uh, saying or endorsing in any capacity whatsoever. But to deny that his game, to deny that it has clearly boosted his presence, to deny that it clearly rubs people the wrong way, which is exactly what it intends to do, because it's not necessarily aesthetically pleasing to various individuals, is so fucking beside the point and so dishonest. It's just absurd to keep... I can't believe we have to keep having these debates. And now that he won this title, interim or not, I only think that's going to serve his interest. Now, had he, in a major way, had he lost... Maybe everything would have blown up in his face and everyone would have forgot about him. But now he's a title holder and the game done changed. In fact, you saw Tyron Woodley out there directly responding to him. And in fact, I think that Colby Covington is actually getting better as a self-marketer. His post-fight speech uh, after Maya was you know, a little bit jumbled and rushed and angry. There wasn't a whole lot to it. It was a much smoother delivery this time. So even he is growing into that role, and Woodley is finally reacting to it in a way where he's getting after it. And this is great for Tyron Woodley, because Woodley is now going to be everyone's hero, because so, so many people hate Colby Covington, because that's the personality that he presents to the world. And uh, and Tyron Woodley will be doing according, you know, uh, will be doing everyone a favor by getting out there and smashing him, right? Whenever that gets set up down the line. But it's just so hilarious to watch MMA Twitter tonight pretending that like all of their, if you don't care about somebody, then don't talk about them or just, you know, react quite neutrally. But the fervent, like, oh my God, I can't stand Colby, but also his gimmick doesn't work. No, it works. It works real well on you. 
Um, in any event, as for the fight itself, if you wanted to give it to Dos Anjos, I wouldn't have any problem with it. I think it was very close, and when I say very close, very, very hard to score. A couple things I was surprised by. I did. I was a little surprised that Dos Anjos had trouble with separation later in the fight. I guess his cardio had faded by that point. But there's a lot of times where, man, you can. If you saw Cain Velasquez is really good at it, but Cain Velasquez puts much more offense behind it. Cain Velasquez will fire the uh, underhook, pull on it, pull. You know, use it to turn, twist, weigh, um, steer, and then against the cage your whole time. And then with his left hand. And he goes to the body, goes to the head, goes to the head, and he's using head position as well. So your head is like an arm, and you got the underhook, and then the other arm comes around and does all the damage. Colby doesn't quite have the same level of um, ability from that position, but he was able to find it consistently. I will say that I, I thought over time, once he only had that underhook, Dos Anjos would be better at creating separation, but I guess he wasn't, so... Leave that, take that for what it is. I did think that Dos Anjos was really good at fighting the hands. And if you noticed, Colby would have an underhook on this side. And on the right-hand side, Dos Anjos was very, very good. Very good at um, constantly getting a hand under the chin, avoiding being controlled. This right arm in the first two rounds, when they were in that tight space, was giving Covington a lot of issues. He was clearly well-prepped for that. Very, really good. If he got taken down, he spent very little time there. He was very susceptible, and I was surprised Covington didn't go back to it more. Nurmagomedov used it to great effect. Now, RDA has really good takedown defense on like a blast double. He has good takedown defense along the cage for um, high crotch singles or, um, again, doubles there or something, you know, body lock, trips, things like that. But he's very open for the uh, single leg run the pipe variety and whenever you saw Colby did it he had immediate success now, of course you have to get into a position where you can set up to do that um, but Nurmagomedov had a ton of success with it and so did Colby Covington I was surprised he didn't go back to it more when it worked in like the third and fourth maybe even the fifth round a little bit so that was a little bit surprising Colby Covington in terms of the striking it's one of those Jake Shields situations where it's not nearly as pretty as RDA is not even close but it's surprisingly effective, I guess, right? Like, he did, he got hit with some big shots, but nothing too big. And he was able to land on RDA. How much? I don't know. Enough to count. Uh, enough to push him back a couple times. Enough to get his attention. Did he really, like, drop him or hurt him? No. But it was kind of effective in its own way. I was really surprised by that, too. And the intense pressure, it also looked to me like maybe the Yoel Romero strategizing has... There's a bit of a contagion going on. It looked to me like Colby, to, uh, excuse me, like Colby Covington took off the fourth round, only to really put it back on him in the fifth. Because um, in the fourth round, you'll note that that was when RDA went after him, which I did think was a, which I thought for a moment was smart, uh, a smart play. But when he kept going back to it and kept going back to it, and then there was one time where he got on Colby Covington, and Colby was able to switch position right away, like. Like, who's going to win that scramble, a wrestling scramble, RDA or Colby? Mm, Colby's going to win that nine times out of ten, right? Maybe even ten times. You just, you're not going to get those. So I thought at first in that round, do that and then separate, really kind of stay off um, stay off the cage and stay on your horse and, and you'll be better. It looks to me like a lot of times RDA gets caught because his hands and his feet have to work together, right? He, he can't just straight up box you. Maybe like Colby Covington can. Colby threw a few kicks, but he can. if he has to just rely on his hands, he can. 
And it's not that RDA doesn't have great hands, but he likes to really let his combinations go and everything likes to work in conjunction. But if you can shut down the kicks, I don't know how much he really wants to rely on his hands. And so as a consequence, uh, he was able to uh, get shut down and pushed back, right? Because there just wasn't enough offense there to really stymie Covington. I thought Covington was ducking a lot. I thought I thought RDA would go much more to the uppercut. You saw him throw that flying knee at the end, well-intentioned but missed. Um, so there was a lot to like from both guys, to be honest. Um, Covington's game is a lot more limited but smothering and more effective than I think his critics can can give him credit for. And Dos Anjos, again, I will say it very clearly. If you scored that fight for him, I have really no issue with that. I think I think you can make a very compelling case that he won that contest. The judges didn't see it that way. The only one, the 49-46, as I mentioned earlier, the, for Covington was, was, was a, little hard to, a little hard to square. And, you know, I guess we'll see who was right about the ATT training room, right? Um, is Covington as good of a wrestler on Woodley as he says he is? We're going to find out. Or... Is is Woodley going to show us that Covington's game that we you know there's a sense that it's pretty limited? Is it limited to the point where he can exploit it? We're going to find out. But I have to tell you, I think to get back to this theme, if you're a Covington critic, and again, that's fine. I'm not I'm not asking you to like him. I'm just asking you to to call balls and strikes with this one. It is so quite obvious that um, because he is not. Because he is not lovable in his villainy, um, people wish to deny him that the, there is efficacy to it, which is a real big mistake. Um, they're judging it by as a performance art when that's not what it is, and uh, and you could see that in the way that there were people were evaluating the fight. So forget about whether they like him or they don't like him or they think he's this or he's that. I also saw people being like, you know, heading into the fifth round, like, well, I've got all four rounds for RDA. I really don't know how you could say something like that. With a straight face. Again, two of those rounds, no problem. All four, I mean, please be serious. Like, this is, it, it colors people's perspective to the point where they can't even have a sober assessment about what he's able to do. Um, and and also, there's another point to be made here about Colby Covington. It, it didn't necessarily have to be him. But look, America's having an interesting time. Whatever your political views are, it's it's a bit of a moment of change. How lasting that change is, Remains to be seen. I leave that to more capable political scientists to discuss that. But this is the MAGA era right now of the United States of America. And it, to me, seems only natural that some fighter would announce themselves to be the brand ambassador for that. Whether it was Colby Covington or somebody else, I don't know. But the fact that he adopted that, to me, seems... Or that a fighter adopted it seemed only natural. And because he's at the front of the line for this welterweight division now... Tyron Woodley notwithstanding, it, it makes sense that he would do it. It's almost a smart play if you really want to be honest about it. And again, this is not, you all know my political leanings. Um, for me, to, I think, to, to admit this, I, I hope you guys understand, I'm, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to call balls and strikes like I see them. Um, his, his, he's, a, he's a very talented fighter. And he's a provocateur. He's a bully. And he's your interim welterweight champion. He's all those things and more. And he flies the flag for a certain kind of ethos, whether you like it or not, but he does it very effectively. Okay, that takes us to Holly Holm defeating Megan Anderson, 30-27 and then two 30-26s. Boy, I got to tell you what. You want to talk about the all-star on the card? It's Holly Holm. It is Holly Holm. I was blown away 
by Holly Holm tonight. First of all, I know she's a female, but the balls on Holly Holm, wow. What a competitor she is. When they locked up, look at how much bigger, not merely in frame, excuse me, frame, but size, Megan Anderson was. How many fighters out there, Daniel Cormier's one, but how many fighters out there go out there and take on a challenge like that where they know they're going to be outside? It's not like one of those things where they're like, eh, we're kind of the same size, but you know, you have a different frame than me. No, no, no. That's not what this was. She went on there and she tackled a bigger opponent. You really have to admire that from me, uh, Holly Holm. So I was impressed by the figurative and lit- and and uh, uh, literary, excuse me, literal ra- ways. Pardon me. That she goes and accepts bigger challenges. Bl- total respect I have for Holly Holm. And look, what was the what was the scouting report on Megan Anderson? You guys know when her combinations are flowing, when she's moving forward, when she has opponents trapped behind the two black lines against the fence, she's a terror. And you saw that. She, that knee came up effortlessly and tagged her. She had such long, rangy, accurate punches. She was giving Holly Holm fits. So what did Holly Holm do? She probably went to plan B. Some of the striking tactics that we know she uses, she does all the time. Sets up from the left hand. Tries to throw it. She has a whole variety of setups, and then she exits out. She was able to exact that to some degree, but really what was the answer and why am I so high on what Holly Holm was able to do? And the answer is that you want to talk about growth. You want to talk about maturity. You want to talk about somebody who you could clearly tell had been working their ass off in the gym. She suffered and lost her belt, which she told the audience afterwards she had never gotten over. To Misha Tate, how? Misha Tate got the takedown the same way twice in that fight. I think once it was in the second or third round, and then once in that fifth round. And in that fifth round, she closed the show. And what happened? How did she close the show? It was because Holly Holm was trying to get away. Her shoulders, she was almost crawling on all fours. Her shoulders were in front of her hips. That's a no-no. We talked about it on this podcast and many others before that I've done. Go look at college and referee's position. Referee's position, there you have to have your hands in a certain spot and your knee on a certain pot, spot. And your opponent comes behind, he touches the elbow, he touches the waist, and they whistle. He cannot put his hands together there. But what happens is, Jose Aldo was the king of it. You don't put your shoulders out in front of your hips. You actually lean back into them. Your waist comes under you, and then you corkscrew around to them and face them. You have to break the hands, whatever they might be doing. You have to hand fight in some kind of way. But it's not... Shoulders forward, hips back. It's hips forward, shoulder back. And the fact that she didn't know that tells you she was really green on the ground. And look, I'm not here to tell you that she's Demi and Maya. It's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is she was setting up Kimuras. She was passing to mount. She knew how to knee cut to get out of three-quarter mount. So if I'm in three-quarter mount, what is that? That's where it looks like I'm in mount but my foot is still trapped. A lot of people in MMA, I'm telling you, don't know how to get out of it. And what does she do? She controls the upper body first so that if the if the buck came from Megan Anderson, it wouldn't be that strong. A lot of people try to get out of three-quarter mount, and they know to hit the knee cut pass, but they don't control up top fast enough or, or sturdy enough. She knew to do that. She controls up top, hits the knee cut pass, and goes to side control. I was so impressed by her. I was so impressed by her, man. What an, What a competitor. What an athlete. I don't I don't know Holly Holm. I'm proud of Holly Holm, man. To go and redefine herself like that, to never give up on her craft after losing to Misha Tate, you know what she did? She went and put on the gi. And I think it's um um who's the jiu-jitsu guy out there? Uh, Tusa, John Jones's guy, Tusa, a, a fantastic black belt, right? I, I think she's been training with him. Boy, it has paid off, man. Um I, I was amazed by her cross facing. I was amazed by her takedowns, you know. It took her a second to collect herself, but look at the 
the, the size of the person she had to do it against. I, I, I mean, I just can't say enough good things about her. Um, more work to be done. I don't know how much that's going to help her against Cyborg if there's a rematch, but blown away. Blown away by Holly Holmes' continued effort, and not just effort to get better results. And at mid-30s, I mean, how old is Holly Holm? Let me verify this. Holly Holm is 36. 36, and she's still out there doing that. Impressive, man. Impressive. Really impressive. I admire her courage, her guts, her ability to go to plan B, and then in that plan B, demonstrate something that a lot of people think if you just train, you get better. It's not, it doesn't work that way. It does, it does, and we'll talk about CM Punk later. It clearly does not work that way. Not everyone gets better. And if you get better, it can be in these very non-linear ways where you just still got big gaps. And it, it takes a certain mindset to, to, to have the humility to cover your bases like that. And she does. As for Megan Anderson, what do you want to say? Like, you saw all the flashes of her brilliance and what she's good at. She clearly has a lot of work to do in the other parts of her game. Um, she didn't take a beating in this one, although she took some, some big shots on the ground, but she didn't take a beating by any stretch of the imagination. She just got out grappled and out wrestled. Um, those are things she can work on. Uh, she'd been off for 18 months and she looked to be in great physical condition. She's still young. I don't, I don't know if there's anything to say about her too positively. I don't know if there's anything to say about her too negatively. I think it's just one of those kinds of performances where she met somebody who had incredible vet, veteran savvy who was just up for the challenge, who's a record competitor in women's MMA. I know they're going to induct Ronda Rousey to the Hall of Fame, but Holly Holm, when she's done, better not be too far behind her. Uh, because to me, what she's done is, as an athlete and as a representative of the sport, men or women, is just phenomenal. But um, Megan will be, I think, the same thing she might say. She'll be back. Megan Anderson, she'll be back. Um Plenty of hope left for her. They should give her somebody, you know, at 145 that who she was kind of fighting in Invicta. This was a real tough challenge for her to come back. I know home is smaller, but to come back after that kind of a long layoff with somebody who's got, you know, that range of ability. So maybe they'll get that right uh, the next time. And again, you saw the flashes of her brilliance early. When she's on, she's on. But what are you going to do? Uh, Tai Tuivasa taking on Andre Orlovsky. He wins 29-28 across the board. I had it scored that way, but I could also see it the other way for Orlovsky. Again, if you had uh, two rounds to one for Orlovsky, I wouldn't argue against it at all. Very, very hard fight to score. Very hard fight. First round, pretty easy. I saw some people giving the first round to Orlovsky. I'm not sure how you do that. I mean, between getting hit the way he did uh, and then the mount, you know, I know he didn't do much for mount. And by the way, that, that moment in mount can be a little tricky. If you don't know what you're doing, especially if someone's really strong underneath and heavyweights can be, they can get that one burst that's really strong. Um, he probably should have spread his base a little bit. Um, that would have helped him. Instead of just keeping your knees out, put your feet out. But in the moment, it can be hard. But if you have your arms like this, one way that somebody can roll you is they can overhook you that way and then step outside of your foot and then bridge to that side and you can go right over, which is why you kind of want to be out wide like that. And if you just pull up on it real hard, what happens to your base? Your base gets adjusted. Somebody can then just push and move if they really wanted to. So you actually, it can be a little bit tricky, especially with somebody really strong underneath. So I can kind of understand why he didn't buck too hard. What do you want to say about Tai Tuivasa on the good side? Um, good experience for him, right? Guy had never gone past the first round. Now he goes all three. That's good. I thought he showed pretty good cardio for a big guy the way he did. So that was good. 
A uh, little limited in the striking department, but he was able to find the pockets where he could do big damage. He likes to uh, get opponents against the fence when they're mobile. You know, out there jabbing in distance, that's not his game. But when he can get people to commit and he can sort of just in the melee find that second, third, fourth, fifth shot, he's really good about that or getting them backed up and where they're kind of immobile. Uh, there he's really strong. He had his moments there. So that was pretty good. On the other hand, I don't know how well he wears damage. Uh, maybe it was maybe what I'm saying is maybe Arlovsky was just piecing him up, or maybe Arlovsky was landing and that like Fedor he doesn't show um, damage very well. We'll have to see over time. That was kind of interesting. Uh, and then again, it's sort of the, on the limited side. He just doesn't have a lot of super refinement in some of these keener positions, uh, and that may come with time. I guess we'll have to see. I was impressed by Andre Arlovsky. I don't know how you can't be number one as I mentioned. You can absolutely make a claim that he won this fight. Uh, number two, I was impressed with his cardio. Number three, his chin. I know there's been a long time where people have said his chin is gone, and then you look at a contest like this where he was taking shots flush. Looked good to me. Uh, so there's that. I thought he had a good game plan. I think him and Mike Brown make a pretty good team. I thought he landed a lot of really nice strikes. I thought he did a pretty good job of staying out of trouble. Not a lot of bad things you can say about Orlovsky. I don't know that he's quite the striking dynamo that he used to be. Um, and again, they know his right hand doesn't quite serve him the same way that it once did. Right? It's a little bit more functional than it used to be. But uh, nevertheless, um, it was still a pretty competent, I would say mostly effective game plan. One that could have netted him a win on any other night with a different set of judges perhaps. Um, sucks that he couldn't win in his city, and I guess we'll see what this means. I, I seriously doubt he'll retire, but um, it does snap his two-fight winning streak. So, uh, And by the way, a good for the division as well. Robert Whitaker wins. How old is he? He is 27, yeah? So then you have Colby Covington, 30. Just turned 30. Home a little bit older. Tied to Ivasa, 25. And then Mike Jackson, uh, CM Punk is where we arrive. Mike Jackson defeats CM Punk, 30-26 across the board. What do I want to say about this one? Hmm. Okay, a couple of things. Let's start with CM Punk, right? So, number one, this experiment should be over, I hope. Um, it was obvious in the last fight that he had no business in the UFC, but now it is pretty clear that uh, it's going to take a very long time for him to get better, and he's, how old is he? He's 39. Um, you know, it, 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 the answer is this is not going to work for any of the parties involved. Um, I'd be curious to see what kind of numbers this pay-per-view does, because uh, while he is a, certainly a celebrated and popular figure, I don't know how much promotion he did for the card, um, so we'll have to see how that works in the end. Certainly wasn't the amount of media that was done last time. And the rose was kind of off the bloom a little bit. Um, but again, I guess we'll see. But uh, to me, it was like, I don't know what you want. It was the it was the reward that people who wanted to see him in the UFC get deserved, right? Like, uh, And I don't mean that in a particularly kind way. I, I, I'm suggesting to you that this was a really bad fight that was a showcase of skills that if someone is along their martial arts journey, I would have almost nothing negative to say about it. But because we are, people can say, well, you can't measure it against UFC standard. If you're going to wear UFC gloves and you are going to accept UFC paychecks, 
and you have to be prepared for UFC-level criticism. You do not get a free pass. And I know everyone's like, he's out there living out his dreams. That's great. Go chase your dreams. But I have a responsibility, which is, again, to call balls and strikes. And certainly I can appreciate the character that he showed in sitting through that trial. I can appreciate the fact that unlike more senior fighters, he did his job as a professional in terms of making weight. That's not a small thing anymore. Uh, all, all those things I can say he did the way that uh, you would expect any other professional to do. And I, and it's not a small thing. I do appreciate that. Um, but we need to we need to halt this experiment and uh, uh, immediately. I mean, look, I, I don't know that this performance was any better than the last one, to be perfectly honest with you. I mean, it was a lot longer, um, and he had the one takedown, but the takedown was by the skin of his teeth, and everything else looked like there, if there had been improvement, it was incredibly marginal. I mean, what do you want to say? Even on the takedown, he didn't realize that you had to be... I mean, how do you not know that if you're on top, you have to be incredibly diligent about not letting someone get the underhook, or if they do get the underhook, that you have to re-pummel? Mike Jackson hit the underhook and held it, and then sit out, sat out, sat out, and then just switched spots with him by running him over, by setting the angle. What you do is you hit, you hit the underhook, and then with your same side leg, you step over that other leg on the same side, you draw it near to you, and you sit into it, head comes over by their chin, and you sit up, and you can do a knee tap from there, you can do all kinds of stuff from there. And he did all of it. There was no underhook awareness standing. I know everyone clowns Dominic Cruz. Why is he so obsessed with underhooks? This is why he's obsessed with underhooks, because everything is about controlling of the inside space and fighting. It is it is critical to everything, either on the ground, in the clinch, and any any space. If you can control somebody there, and you have any modicum of ability, you're going to see what happens. Um, and Mike Jackson, like, it was effortless finding that underhook. like it, Effortless to the point where it was pretty clear he didn't realize that he needed to keep doing that or the competition got to him or, you know, something. Like, maybe he did know, but in the heat of the moment, you know, he was getting beat up or something and, and lost his way. And uh, this is so rudimentary to, to professional MMA that, again, if someone's on a martial arts journey – and they're just out there trying to get better, and they're taking amateur fights. I would not. I would not really share these. I mean, I, w I might tactically uh, address these things, but I wouldn't be harsh. But this is like, this is so far from UFC level that I. It's like, it's like trying to look into a distant galaxy far away. I mean, that's that's the level of separation that we're talking about here. In fact, if I have a criticism of the fight, it's not merely that CM Punk is so manifestly. I mean, he shouldn't even be grant. I'll be honest. I don't. I don't know that he should be getting a professional license. To be to be perfectly honest with you, um, he'd be much more suited as an amateur fighter. Uh, but that you can debate that. But what you can't debate is that Michael ja Mike Jackson was so confident. I, I I thought he should have put him away, and he was kind of in there just taking his time, trying to show like blithe unconcern. And I like Mike Jackson. I had lunch with him once at this barbecue joint in uh in uh, Houston for the Kimbo Dada fight. A bunch of media types. We got to go out there. He's in, he's a friendly, nice guy, and I, I think he was trying to make a point that like he had been called a can, and you know I'm going to show you who's better, and no doubt about it, he was better literally every literally everywhere. But at some point, if you're better than a guy like that, you got to put it on him and put him away. And it looked to me like he was trying to draw the fight out. I could be wrong about this, but it looked to me like he was trying to draw the fight out to have like this maximum point. But the point ended up being lost a little bit because by the th third round. I mean, 
you know, when he and then when when he when when uh, Punk tried for that guillotine that was like nowhere even remotely close. Um, the triangle was people were like, oh, what about the triangle attempt? Uh, it, it, he had interesting ability to shoot his hips. I'll say that, but you got to have you got to have other forms of control to set it up. Like if you don't have control of the head or the shoulders or an overhook, or or something, it, it does you it does you no good. You got you, you can yes you can shoot up to them, but then you have to bring them back to you. And he never bring them back to you. Like if someone if someone's in guard and they're trying to sit up, and you just reach for their neck, they might be able to get a post on your hip, a post on your lapel. They have a gi, right? So what do you do? You actually bring your knees to your chest, and that will bring them over right and yes of course you can underhook from there you can overhook from there or you can you know spread their hands out you can do other things with your hands too but you got to bring you have to bring somebody to you an arm bar it's hard to shoot an arm bar right i have to bring your chest close to mine i have to set the angle and then i have to kind of uh create a little bit of extension from there so to me, it's like it's just all this total lack of like positional awareness. And again, I'm not here suggesting I could do a better job. I know for a fact I couldn't. It's why I don't even try. Um, and I don't begrudge him his martial arts journey. I really don't. But I said it the last time. If you want to get better at MMA, this ain't the way. It's not the way. You got to do it the way it's set up to be done. You should be in grappling tournaments to the extent you can do those. Um, and I'm sure he's training his ass off, but you can see Holly Holmes are training her ass off, and you can see the improvements. I'm, I have no doubt his effort is sincere, but it's just not a ton of growth. In fact, very, 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 very little, barely detectable levels of growth. The, the, this needs to be stopped. And um, if you thought it was boring, that's what you asked for. Um, you can levy criticisms at Mike Jackson, too. That's fine, but... This is what you get. All right, let's raffle through these a little bit here. On the Fox Sports preliminary card, Curtis Blades defeating Alistair Overeem, 256 of the third round. Here's what I'll say about Curtis Blades. By the way, Curtis Blades, 27 years old. Looks to me like what he has is a, it's a, it's a bit of a limited skill set, but it's a very effective skill set, right? He's got doubles. He's got good movement on the feet. I really like his movement, yeah. Good footwork. Um, he's athletic, and he finds those moments for his takedown. From the takedown, you know, there's a little bit of extra passing, and those elbows at the end were vicious, but he he doesn't open his game up at first. Likes to get the takedown, likes to get the control, a little bit of striking here or there, and then he opens up a little bit more and opens up a little bit more. And by the way, he builds offense through that striking. So if you go, if he goes and shoots in and he can't get it, what does he do? Um, and you, you you stop it, he throws a knee up the middle or he throws an elbow over the top or a punch or something, right? He builds offense inside that space, and it was really, really effective. Overeem just couldn't quite find his moment that he needed. Um, he kept getting taken down and kept getting taken down underneath. Yeah, the leg locks were kind of interesting, but he, didn't, he never had control. Uh, he didn't quite have enough control over the body. Uh, and he didn't have it quite seated right in the in the in the armpit. Um, it was I appreciated the uh, the attempt, but it just wasn't quite there. And then as Blades, you know, gets more and more comfortable as more time expires, then you really begin to see the breadth and depth of his game and those elbows over the top. Oh my God, they were so vicious. You know what it looked like? It 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 looked like every new elbow was landing a new cut. I don't know if it's I don't know if that was happening or if. You know, he hit a cut and then made the same cut bigger 
or he was spreading the blood with his elbow. I don't know exactly, but that was nasty. He calls for a title shot. I don't know if he's quite there yet, but a great, great moment to see Tai Tuivasa and Curtis Blades. Again, Andre Olavsky, I think, has a legitimate case for a win, but Overeem does not. Um, so I don't know what's next for him. This brings him to an interesting point, by the way, because Overeem is now 38 uh, and... Yeah, has lost two in a row for the first time since 2013. So if we learn anything from Arlovsky, it's not to count any of these guys out, but at the same time, it's somebody to watch to see where he goes next. He always had a bit of that Mike Bisping vibe, right, where he would get knocked out and then just totally forget about it and come back stronger. So we'll see. We'll see what happens with him. Uh, Claudia Gadelia defeating Carla Esparza, split decision, 29-28. Gadelia, 28-29. Excuse me, 29-28. Esparza, and then 29-28. Gedalia. I had it for Gedalia, but I have to say I thought Esparza fought a lot better than I thought she would. I thought she was very, very impressive with her hand speed, with, you know, the striking was not exactly polished, but Gedalia was just so flat-footed that it was really kind of effective in the end. Um, she was the quicker of the two, but Gedalia, God, there was one moment where Esparza had her dead to rights on a takedown attempt. I mean, timed it perfectly and was in on her hips, and Gedalia just kind of got her hips back. Through, through sheer force of will, it was extremely impressive. So that was another one where I think Esparza, maybe you could have scored it for her, but I had it for Gadelia as well, 2-1. to one. Uh, Mirsad Bektish defeating Ricardo Lamas. Great wrestling, great scrambling in this one. Um, 29-28, 28-29, and then 30-27. I'm not sure about that 30-27, to be honest with you. But nevertheless, uh, phenomenal wrestling from both guys here. Ricardo Lamas, I think, showing a lot of heart coming back from that vicious knockout from Josh Emmett. And Mirsad Bektic, you know, there are still some issues about him pursuing takedowns and the wrestling and clinching and tie-ups when either it's inadvisable or not even necessary. So that's a bit of an issue with his development that we should probably monitor. But be that as it may... Uh, getting the job done here and looking pretty good for the most part in the process. Chris De La Rocha defeating Rashad Coulter in a not a great fight. TKO, 3.53 of the second round. Uh, fun moment in the first round, but then the fight just kind of grinded to a halt. Um, on the preliminary card, Anthony Smith looked like a giant against Rashad Evans and KOs him at 53 seconds into the first round. Smith had that uh, elbow cross face and Rashad was caught leaning fires the knee and gets him. I was going to say when they were tying up, I was like, God damn, Anthony Smith looks strong and he looked, you know, composed and he fires it off. Anthony Smith, now he's a, he's 29, but he's an older 29 if you want to talk about the miles. But Rashad Evans, 38 years old, man, this is, he hasn't won a fight since 2013. This makes five losses in a row. Anthony Smith, Sam Alvey, Daniel Kelly, Glover Teixeira, and Ryan Bader. And you could say what you want about the Kelly and Alvey losses. Well, he wasn't getting finished like he was against Glover Teixeira. Well, here we are right back at it. Anthony Smith just running over him. Um, you know, I'm going to say this because I'm not saying this because I dislike Rashad Evans. I'm saying this because I like Rashad Evans. I would like to see Rashad Evans consider retirement. I think, um, you know, you, oh, you can never tell a person to retire. You're right, I can't. He doesn't have to listen to me, but I'm just trying to speak candidly. And Rashad's an all-time great. He's a legend in the sport, former champion, a pioneer in many ways. I, I it seems to me like it's time, but I I, I don't know what he's going to do. I I hope he, that he considers um, hanging it up. Sergio Pettis defeating Joseph Benavidez split decision. This one was an interesting one. A lot of people had it where I think they didn't they didn't like Pettis winning 30-27, and neither did I. I didn't think he won the third round, but I and he got dropped, of course, real bad in the first. 
And the second round, I can admit, was close. All those things. But I also thought there was a lot of work overall that Benavidez was doing, where I appreciate that he was proactive on offense, but I don't know how effective it was. Remember, the issue was effective striking, right? It's, it's effective damage. And then you go down to the other criteria. There was a lot of it that just didn't seem very effective to me. Now, we can debate that. I can go look at it again. Maybe my opinion will change. Um, but... I think the right guy won, and again, I do not agree with the 30-27 scorecard, but I saw people being like, this is outrage. I'm like, I don't really see a lot of case for outrage, to be perfectly honest with you. I, it, seemed, it seemed to me like Pettis was the guy that should have won and did. Charles Oliveira defeating Clay Guida, 218 of the first round. Man, when he is on, he is on. Ties Hoist Gracie for the most amount of submissions in UFC history, 10. Submission wins, of course. And on the feet, you know, look composed, man. Um, when he's dialed in, he's dialed in. And we all know the issues. If you if you push him, he kind of loses um, his commitment to the fight sometimes. But when he's committed, fuck, he is a handful. And that guillotine was just academic. You've never seen a guy just give it to Clay Guida like that, like so quick in the UFC. Like if you look at Clay, Clay Guida's losses, he's an older guy too, man, 36. Um, he did lose to Roger Huerta, but that was in the third round. Uh, he lost to Kenny Florian, second round, and he got hit real bad first. Uh, let's see, Chad Mendez was TKO. Dennis Bermudez, he lost in the second round. Um, he lost to Tiago Tavares in the – that was the first round, but that's about it. So, And that was pretty recently too. That was 2015, recent, recent-ish. Um, so it's pretty rare for him to get put away like this, and and he did. Um, which is unfortunate if you're a Clay Guida fan, but it was nice to see Charles Oliveira fight up to his potential, I think. And then Dan Ige defeating Mike Santiago. Mike Santiago, I think, didn't land anything. Not a strike, not a takedown, not a submission attempt, nothing. At 50 seconds into the first round, Dan Ige hit this fake knee tap. Um, I think he threw a right hand to try to turn it into a knee tap. And then as Santiago was covering up or transitioning, Ige, as a consequence of the knee tap where his hands were, was able to then hit like a left-handed shovel punch, was freaking brilliant. Such an awesome combination for him to be able to do that. And then, you know, he just put it on Mike Santiago. I felt bad, but, um, you know, he, the guy was on a mission. He was not going not, to – not merely was he not going to um, uh, face defeat again, but he was going to send a message, and that's exactly what he did. Very impressive win, and I loved that combination from him at Featherweight. By the way, Dan Ige – 26 years old, another featherweight kid, man. Just incredible. So this to me, also this event had like a UFC 222 vibe where like all the young guys were pushing out all the older guys. I know some of these results were a little bit controversial and that you could make some cases for some of the older guys, but by hook or by crook, it didn't go their way. And so here we are. Uh, okay, you can see, you can follow me on uh, at L Thomas News. And uh, let's see. Uh, and then, of course, I'm going to go to the, what you call it, the Super Chats. So let's take a look at the Super Chats here, right? All right. If you have a question, put those in there, uh, and I'll get to them. All right. Someone says, thanks for everything. Love your content. Appreciate it. Um, someone says, do you think Tyron can put up with Colby's pace? Tyron loves to put his back against the cage and could get smothered like RDA, or is his wrestling too good? Hmm. Going to be interesting to see going to be interesting to see. We're going to find out because I think he can stop his takedowns and create separation a lot easier, but you're right, he does like to back up, which could be good for Colby. 
So the question is, like, what kind of damage can he inflict? Does he get the takedown again later in the rounds, right? Because if RDA can get it, you would imagine that Tyron can get it. Can Tyron knock him out early? Because you often see Colby ducking, right? I, over and over, you saw him ducking like that. You can say whatever you want about Tyron Woodley. I think he's a superb fighter, and I think he's a really good game planner. He understands when he walks into a fight, like, what he's needs to do and what he's expecting to do um, and that kind of a thing. So... So we'll see, but you're right. It makes an interesting challenge. If you're going to willingly put your back against the fence this, where this guy wants you, you're going to have to find another way around that or make that work for you in some kind of way. So I'm going to be curious to see how that goes. Uh, oh, let me go to the top here. Sorry. No 10-8s for Romero's. Embarrassing scorecards. Yeah, that one hurts a little bit. That one this comes from Notorious VC. That one hurts a little bit. Third round, I'm not even saying you couldn't give a 10-8 there, but... I don't know. I just don't know how you don't give him a 10 8 for the fifth. I, I, I don't. I don't get it. Uh, David Sandin says, Holly Holm, congrats on your hockey team winning. No question. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Jason Williams writes, Excellent card. Colby is going to deliver the chaos to the White House to our delight. I hope he does go to the White House. Again, I don't know what it is about Colby that people just want to deny him. There is something about the fact that I want him to succeed because people wish to deny him. Uh, and it's it's it'd be one thing to deny him and say, well, I, I I acknowledge how well he's doing. I just don't like it. But that's not what they do. They say, I don't like what he's doing, and also it's bad, and also it doesn't really work. I don't know, fellas. Looks like it's working real well for me to for him tonight. Uh, and then if he went to the White House, this would only just balloon his stature. Uh, Chris Jackson asks, so can we finally agree UFC, just like boxing promotions, have corrupt judges? Well, uh, if you want to say they're corrupt, you can, but the UFC doesn't run them. The Athletic Commission does. So you would have to blame the state of Illinois and whoever they used to staff this. Again, someone says, Stephen Stevens, that's his name apparently, writes, no 10-8 for round five, unbelievable. Also, congrats, Ronda. Yeah, I have no issues with Ronda entering the Hall of Fame for a couple of reasons, in part because it's the UFC Hall of Fame, not some other Hall of Fame. And what do you care about? I mean, in MMA, it's a little bit different, but in the other sports leagues, what you really get is two considerations. One, length of time spent in the league, obviously achievement. And then uh, there's a little bit of time after they get out. But she's been gone, I guess, for a little while. It's pretty clear she's not coming back. She's obviously a pioneer and incredibly successful and important you know, I, I think losing twice and not coming back, if you really wanted to be a stickler for the achievement grounds, would hurt her. But I don't know. I, I think it's a little petty at that point, right? So someone says, um, Jester JO930 says, I scored it a draw, but Yoel still lost second time to Robert, missed weight second time in a row. Why is Rogan pushing for a trilogy? Okay, so the weight thing is interesting. He didn't bring in, um, not Mike Dolce, but um, God, the Marine whose name I always forget, who helps cuts, cut, cut weight for everybody. Um, in any event, he didn't bring him in until Tuesday. Sorry, guys, it's late, and I can't remember this person's name. He didn't bring him in until Tuesday. It's, like, way too late. I agree with you completely. Like, they have to figure – I mean, can he even fight at middleweight at all anymore? The only reason I think people want to see it is because the first two fights have been incredibly entertaining, and while UL lost this time, number one, you can make a case that it should have been a draw that he could have won, and that, number two, 
at a bare minimum, whatever the distance was between them the first time, it's much narrower the second time. They just they seem to match well with each other. But I can understand your concern. You know, if you don't, if you if you can't make weight, what, like what what are we doing here? Had he won, frankly, it would have been a bit of a disaster for the UFC. So they kind of dodged a bullet there a little bit. And I agree, they got to figure this out. Like, what are you, dude? Are you a middleweight? Can we rely on you to make? And I understand you're 41 years old and everything. I get it. But either you can make the weight or you can't. I think we need to find that out. Uh, Chris Jackson writes, Colby was smothering against the cage with pressure, but was I the only one who thought they were ignoring everything RDA did on the feet until round four? When you say they, do you mean the commentators or do you mean the judges? Again, I, I agree. Like Defense is its own reward. And so how much value is it if you're not really getting a takedown? You're landing some shots and maybe you know, you're threatening. I think what they count it as is if I'm able to press you against the cage you're not able to get off very much effective striking. So it's not really effective grappling, but it's smothering to the point where we can then decide, well, who is just more proactive with their offense? And maybe they shouldn't do that, but I think that they do. I think very commonly that they do. So that's sort of the position that we arrive in. Uh, let's see. Wally Azami writes, Great overall card. Connor often teases of welterweight. I dislike Covington, but he would ruin Connor's life. Also, did you feel bad watching CM Punk? I did not feel bad. For any, like, why would I feel bad for, like, again, I appreciate his martial arts journey, but we live in a country where the rich and famous get access to things that they never should get access to when common people don't. Um, and so everyone was like treating this like it was some kind of make a wish foundation situation when it wasn't. It was a really rich person getting an opportunity that ordinarily would not come their way. And again, I appreciate their martial arts journey, but like you got to do that like Batista did. You got to start on the small shows and work your way up. He stopped, of course, after thing what one fight, but um, I, like this idea, like he he's pursuing his dreams. There's lots of ways to pursue your dreams that don't involve cutting in line. But okay, neither here nor there. So no, I don't feel bad at all. Plus, he's gonna get paid. So like you know, and he won his trial on Tuesday. Like he didn't have it that bad of a day. Um. Covington would ruin Connor's life. Certainly the wrestling might be a lot for him to deal with. I can agree to that. But never underestimate Connor McGregor. People have done that and uh, had bad days. Uh, Theron Atone with a $20 donation. Thank you, my friend. Says, damn, sounds like a good night. Was a pretty good night. Lovely Day asks, will missing weight disqualify him for 185-pound titles? I think they're going to – how are you not going to have – George Lockhart. Is the guy I'm trying to think of. How are you not going to have a nutritionist full-time if you're 41 years old and you're trying to fight in a division where it's hard for you to make that weight? Why? Because it's expensive? You can't leave that kind of thing to... to you, you clearly see what the alternative is. Like, I realize it must be hard for him to make that weight. I appreciate that. I realize it must be very, very taxing. But you have to do it. You have to do it. And if having a nutritionist there at all times is what you need to get the job done, well, then do it. Uh, let's see. CB's Lees asks, do you believe Gastelum is next for Robert Whitaker? Maybe. Maybe. Uh, let me get back to this one. Chris D writes, CM Punk would fuck you up, Luke, to be honest. Whatever helps you sleep at night. Caleb Torres, thank you for the don donation, Chris D. Caleb Torres writes, how well do you think Yoel would do at 205? Well, very well. How well would his punching power translate? Very well. 
Could his conditioning improve due to less severe weight cut? Probably some, but I think we have to have... There are other things that Jimmy Smith was alluding to. Number one, his age. Number two, um, the fact that he has been conditioned to go in these bursts that way through years of wrestling and sort of like looking at his musculature and what that might lend itself to and not. So I do think it would improve. I don't know how substantial it would be. I still think he would learn to fight in the way that he has been. Uh, a gentleman whose screen name is Harvey Weinstein writes... Luke, great work tonight from one professional to another. <laughs> uh, someone says, my sources tell me you may have some big shoes to fill in the coming months. Good luck, sir. Yeah, we'll see. And then also he writes, Ronda does not deserve to be in the Hall of Fame before Frank Shamrock. Well, I won't argue with that. I will absolutely, absolutely not argue with that. All right, if there's anything on Twitter, I'll take a look. If not, I'll move along. Someone says, here we go, hold on. Four to one, what in the world were you watching? Here we go. MMA. Competently. Try it sometime. All right. Let's see. Uh, Don't you think Whitaker and Romero left something in the cage tonight like Lawler and McDonald? Probably a little bit. Probably a little bit. Yep. So it says, you've missed about $75 in donations in your stream. No, I didn't. I got to them all. Uh, anything else? No, that's about it. Uh, appreciate all the tweets. Appreciate you guys watching this. Is there anything else I missed on this super chat? I don't think so. I think I got everything. All right. Appreciate you guys watching. Give the video a like. Subscribe to the channel below. It's a big favor when you do. These are back. For now, anyway. I guess we'll see. But uh, really appreciate you guys watching. Hope you enjoyed the fights as much as I did. I thought they were great. And until next time, get some sleep. <laughs>